Now, will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I trust that you are understanding of why we are emphasizing what we have been emphasizing. It is my, it is my deep conviction. I have the opportunity to, to meet with people, to share with people, to listen to people, to observe what's happening around the world in the church. And I am absolutely convinced as I stand before you this morning that if ever the church needs to know who it is, it is today. Uh, You talk to people about the church and they will tell you all kinds of things about the church. Uh, One person was asked, how would you define the church? And the person said, bingo. That's true, I'm not making that up. I know one denomination across the border where I'm from, people say that whenever this one church met together for a business meeting, their theme song is the fight is on. See, those are embarrassing things. And and I think that what we need to understand, Paul is emphasizing something about the church. He calls it a mystery. And we will see in a moment that when he, call, when he talks about a mystery, he, he's not saying that the church is, I, I think there are several TV programs, I, I've seen them advertised, I've never watched them, that talk about um, um, ghost hunting or ghost places and so on, where I guess people say they see ghosts and everyone is giving their interpretation of, of what is happening. So I'm saying that when we talk about the church being a mystery, I'm not talking about... Um, you know, do 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 do. Say, I'm not talking about that. We will see in a minute that when Paul talks about a mystery, he's talking about something that cannot be known by human manipulation. So that when we talk about the church, we're talking about something so extraordinary that it takes God to make it known. So I read again the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship, or the King James uses the word dispensation, we'll get to that in a minute, the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now has been revealed to his holy apostles, prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of the fellowship of the member of the body and fellowship and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I am made a minister according to the gift of grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Father, I pray that you will give us understanding to what has just been read. For the the, the book that sits on our laps this morning 
is God's word. Help us to understand that. That this is not some idea of some man putting thoughts together. But this is God making himself known for the purpose of his eternal glory. May we be excited about that. May we be joyful about that. That we are a part of the mystery. Not something written by Agatha Christie. Not something by Dorothy Sayers. Not something by Alfred Hitchcock. No, but something revealed by God. May your spirit give us understanding and may your servant be true to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We look last week at the fact that Paul was paying a price for proclaiming this mystery. And I shared with you the fact that if, if today you talk about the uniqueness of the church, the exclusivity of the church as related to Jesus Christ, you can get in trouble for doing that. There are people in other parts of the world. I shared with you the pastor in Iran. I shared with you the fact that there are times at our, this present moment that if we talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ in our society, in our culture, we run the danger of being accused of being arrogant. We run the danger of being ostracized. We run the danger of being criticized or condemned for that. It is to our shame, may I say. It is to our shame if we have become arrogant with what God has given to us. Because what Paul is talking about is that everything that he's experiencing, everything he wants to share has come to him by grace. He didn't earn it. Unfortunately, the Jews took the privileges, the promises that God had given to them, and they made it their own. And in that way, they became arrogant with the truth. But I want to suggest to you that we shall see as we study the Scriptures that every time Paul talks about this grace of God that has been given to him to make known the gospel, to make known the mystery, every time he talks about it, he talks about it by saying he is humbled by it. He's humbled by it. And so he, he said, I want you to know what's happening to me because of this. And may I suggest to you there, friends, that in a real sense, we do not go around looking for persecution. We don't do stupid things, and then when people criticize us, we say, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No. It is what we are, what we believe. That is what gives us the identification with Christ. In the, the Sermon on the Mount, he made it plain. He said, there will come a time when you will be persecuted for my name. Not because of the, the silly things you do. You know, there's a group of people, church people, from Kansas City, or Kansas, I think, the state of Kansas, Missouri, where every time there's a soldier who is buried, and they have some idea that this soldier had a different lifestyle, these people go to the church during the church service, and, and they, 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 they riot against the, the, the people in there. They march with signs, and they criticize them, and say, God hates this, and God hates that. My friends, that's not what we are called to do. That's not what we're called to do. The church of Jesus Christ lives with such a deep and the dimension of love that people wonder that it is possible that people can really love 
like that, as we shall see later on. So there was a price to pay for it. And I want to remind you again that certain things have taken place in the last several weeks at the United Nations. This freedom of speech that has been, has been, has been proclaimed, it is something very deceptive. Because by freedom of speech, they do not mean that you are free to speak what you believe, but you are free to speak what will not offend someone else. So that if, if, if I should say this morning that Jesus Christ is the only way, that's not freedom of speech. If I say Jesus can appeal to anybody, anybody can have whatever faith they want, that's freedom of speech. You cannot be critical of anything that might offend someone else. And of course, we will not be looking to offend people just for the fun of it. So there is a price to pay. And I want you to know that it is not only happening in countries apart from our own, but it's happening here right now. I can tell you of things that have happened, that have happened south of the border. So we come to the second part of the message then started last week. We looked at the price for proclaiming this mystery. Now I wanted to see the process. How did it happen? Did the apostles get together? Peter and James and John, and later on, they invited Paul to become a part of them. Did they come to this conclusion by putting their minds together so that they're able to say, we are convinced that this is so because none of us disagrees with it? That's not how it happened. Listen to St. Paul again as he writes in chapter 3. I want you to know that this stewardship or this this revelation of the mystery came by way of a divine activity, a divine action. This blows my mind. I meet with a young man every week. I'm mentoring him, and, and he, he, he has some deep, deep questions. Deep questions. And one of the questions he asked last Tuesday as we met, he said, how do we know that what the apostles said was what God was giving to them and not because most of the, 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 the apostles were Jewish. So they had the promises. How do we know that what they are, they, they're, they're saying is truly what God is saying? That's like my son asking, asking me when he was just a little boy. He was just a little taught and he asked, Daddy, what is God's middle name? <laughs> wow. Well, here's a, here's a young man, 30 years old, and he's grappling with this question. The first thing we understand with this, my friends, that the disciples did not come up with their own conclusions about the church. That's the first thing we need to know. Why? Because by being Jewish... They could not care less about Gentiles. So when they come up with something that is completely antagonistic to their own belief, they must be on something that is not their own. You have heard the stories. No Gentile is allowed to come here. If you're wearing jeans, you can't go into our place. 
So how, how, did, how, this come, how did this all come about? St. Paul said this, it came about because God revealed it. When they came together, the Old Testament promises that anticipated the coming of the church, the birth of the church. Jesus using the word the first time in Matthew chapter 16. The word church was never used as such in any literature, especially religious literature. So now, all of a sudden, this thing called the church is being expressed. By being a mystery religion, I am not suggesting that Christianity is like present-day lodges or the mystery religions that existed in times past. Because mystery religions, my friends, let, let me suggest to you, I'll just say one thing. Mystery religions, historically, are people who were indulging in behavior that would embarrass any decent citizen. So when I say Christianity is a mystery religion, I do not mean that we have meetings behind closed doors so that nobody knows. <laughs> you know, we're not going to send letters to the new members. Now that you're members, we want to know what your bank account is like. <laughs> I remember some years ago, my first visit to the city of Chicago. <laughs> I wanted to go to church. It was my first Sunday morning, and I wanted to see what it was like to visit an American church. And so I was walking, and I, I heard singing, and I, I identified with the song that was being sung. But as I, I got to the, f the first door, I, kept, I heard the singing, but there was a second door to go through. And so I went through the second door. I heard the singing, but there was a third door to go through. And I thought, hold it. Hold it. You might get in there, and you're not able to get out. <laughs> I did. I, I thought of that. Because, you see, we can sing the same song, but we do not necessarily live the same life. And we have seen that all over the place. When you have meetings behind closed doors where you, where you, where you shut people out, that's not what we're talking about, mystery. Let me suggest to you what the word mystery is. A secret. A secret. So how does, does one... Get to know the secret. When I was a little boy, we used to play the, the game secret. And you have five or ten people lined up. And, and, and you, you, the first person gives a message. And the, it goes from one to the next. And by the time it got to number five or number six, it doesn't sound anything like what it started to be like. How do we know? The secret that was given to the prophets and to the apostles. How do we know that what we hold in our hands this morning is precisely what God had in mind when he revealed it to St. Paul? I'll give you a few reasons in a minute. Let's look at the regulation of the mystery. The regulation of it. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, I want you Gentiles to know what is happening here. If you have heard of the dispensation, that is, if you have heard of the way in which God, who regulated this mystery, it was all with him. And at a certain point, just as he chose Abraham, at a certain point, he chose the Apostle Paul, 
based upon what Jesus Christ said, to give the substance. Jesus introduced the church and Paul gave the substance to the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. What did, did he explain that? No, he didn't. He just said, I will build it. Well, the epistles, my friends, especially the one we're looking at, is the substance. He's talking about the church. How did it come to be? The idea was concealed by God in the mind of God. Uh, if you please, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a minute. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And just to save time, I'm going to keep reading it, but you might want to look at that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He's talking about our salvation, talking about the church. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace of God that would come to be made known, the prophets... Old and New Testament until Christ came. They talked about it, but they did not understand it. See, that's why we know that it was not something made up of their own volition. Because they didn't understand what they were even writing. Um, who prophesied of the grace of God that would come prophetically? Come to you, made careful search and inquiries. Seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. The Old Testament prophets predicted the sufferings, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ and the glories that should follow is his resurrection. And so when the apostles and the prophets came together, they were totally dependent upon God's spirit to reveal to them what God had in mind for all eternity. And Paul said, this is how he did it. You will see what this means in a minute. In Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus is looking at the mystery and he says, Father, you have concealed these things from the wise and the prudent. Those who think they have it all together. Those who think that they are the masters of their own destiny. You have concealed these things from them, but you have revealed them to babes. People who are stupid enough, if you please, to walk by faith. People who, who are willing to take God at his word. Do you remember what happened to Adam and Eve? God said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. They got in front of the tree and the devil said to them, did God really say that? Immediately, they began to question God, just as many are doing today with the business of the church. And so Paul said, the regulation of this mystery, no angel said to God, it is time for you to do something about what's happening in the world. <laughs> no creature in heaven sat down and gave God counsel as to how the church was going to be born. None. In the fullness of time when it was God's time, he revealed the secret that had been kept in the confines of the Godhead from all eternity. And Paul and the apostles and now you and me are privileged to be a part of this secret which had been hidden from all previous generations. We have the privilege of knowing what it is. Wow. That's why the church is unique. The church is not a man-made imagination come true. 
In fact, the church is not even a dream of God come true. The church is the design of God that comes through. Design. Design. In Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 23, let me read it. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the glory that was to follow. Raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rules and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. I want to suggest again, friends, that the man standing before you is not the head of this church. When I open the word of God, I do not become your master and you become my servant. I open this word because God has designed what a servant is to be to the church. I say again, no pastor has the right to say, it's my way or the highway. No pastor. Because the pastor is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is. And the whole idea of the church is that God has revealed something that the world knew absolutely nothing about. And all of a sudden, if you go to South America this morning, or if you go to South Africa this morning, or if you go to certain parts of the Middle East this morning, where the church is meeting, where the true body of Christ that has been designed by God is meeting, you know what you will find? You will find one gospel, one hope, one spirit, one faith, not a diversity, but one. That's the mystery of the church. That God is going to bring people from all backgrounds, he did it with the Jews and the Gentiles who were the, the most hated of each other. But now, by the blood of Christ, he has broken down every wall, moved every partition, and now we are one in the bond of love. That's the church. That's why we're a mystery. In verse 10, Paul is going to say, we speak even to angels when we come together. I won't get there now because we wouldn't get out of here today. Secondly, the revelation, I hinted at this before. Verse 3, the mystery was given to Paul by God to publicize it. The mystery was given or revealed to Paul in order that it might be publicized. It was given by revelation. It was disclosed by God. And revelation is the means by which he did it. Uh, turn over Galatians, one book back. Show you something. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. Again, I'm just going to read this because there's a lot in there. Galatians chapter 1, 13 to 17. Listen to this. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, 
how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. And I tried to destroy it. That's Paul talking. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. Listen, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. In other words, he didn't go to headquarters to see what they have to say. I was, I was watching something this morning that is take, was taking place in Rome this morning from the Catholic Channel. And, and, and the Pope was talking and he was making some statements. <laughs> and and I, I confess, I shouldn't, shouldn't even tell you what I said. But as he made the statement, I said, no sir, that doesn't belong to you. You're a servant of that. You're not the source of it. You see, because Paul said, I didn't consult. I didn't go someplace. When Luther was trying to, to get a grip on the gospel, he went to Rome to see if he could get some understanding. And when he got there, he found the situation so horrible that he could not believe his eyes that he was looking at people who called themselves Christians. So he, I did not consult with flesh and blood. Spoke to students a few weeks ago, uh, two, two months ago, I should say, and I said to them, listen, you do not come to the school in order to become ministers. Because that's what we think. Now that I have my PhD, now that I have my master's degree, now that I have my, I must be a minister. And the more degrees I have, the more pay I would demand of you, I want you to know. I, I'm not joking. That's happening now where the degrees you have determine your salary. Paul said, I did not consult with flesh and blood. Let me go on. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. For three and a half years, the apostle was in isolation. And when he came back and went to Jerusalem, they were afraid of accepting him. But when they heard that he had renounced his Judaism and that he was now following Jesus Christ, the apostles grew together. The, the difference between them were now broken down. And when God said to Ananias, I want you to go to a street called Straight and you will find a man who is praying I want you to put your hands upon him. And I, I love what Ananias said to, to God. You don't mean Saul, do you? Are you kidding me? I know that man as if God didn't know that man. And God said something to Ananias. God said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And that's all he needed to hear. He walked up to where Paul was, or as Saul at the time he was called. And the first word he uttered to him was, brother. Brother. The walls were broken down. If you belong to Jesus Christ by means of the cross, 
There should be no barrier, no fence between you and me, and neither should we have it in the church. And let me tell you, it did exist. In the book of James, there were people who were looking at people the way they were dressed and say, you can have the front seat. If you were not dressed the right way, you can have the back seat. <laughs> you want me to give a little bit of history lesson, just a moment? You know, you go to churches with, with, with um, balconies. Do you know why balconies were put in churches in the first place? If you were on the main floor, you were in. If you were in the balcony, you were out. The balcony were put there for people who did not have the name, who did not pay for their seats. <laughs> we don't have one in here. <laughs> what I'm saying, my friends, that if this, if, if this church was a Sodoville church, it might have Sodoville flavor. If it, was a, it, if it was an Albany church, it would have an Albany flavor. If it was an American church, it would have an American flavor. It will, if it were a Canadian church, it would have a Canadian flavor. But it is none of those things. Paul said, God revealed it. And what God revealed to the apostles before Paul became a part of them was precisely what he revealed to them so that at the communion what he said, I deliver unto you that which the Lord delivered to me. So then the first, the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. Paul wasn't there. But he became a part of it by revelation. And he was no longer the kind of man that he was. The, re the, the, the revelation. And, and we live, by, by the way, someone, I love this, in my research, someone said, I, I, I don't use things like, we have a vision for this. No, I said, we have a re revelation from God for this. I like that more than the word vision. You know, vision sounds like I am in control. I'd like to see this church get a balcony. No, that's not right. <laughs> so we have the regulation of the mystery. It was in God's mind. We have the revelation of the mystery. God made it known. And now we have the last point, the revealer of the mystery. Chapter 3 and verse 5. Look at how he did it. Verse 5 which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit or by the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are to follow our fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises of Christ through the gospel. What we preach is not man-made. What we become is not man-designed. Where we're going is not where men reign. The whole thing is a mystery. And, 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 and when we get to chapter 3 and verse 10, the apostle is going to say, God, through the church, when it comes together, speaks to principalities and powers. I've been emphasizing that again and again, and I hope that you get it. That friends, when we come together, it is more than just vertical. When we come together, it's horizontal. A vertical, an horizontal. It's not, it's not only for us. But it's for him. And God said, I am going to show the principalities and the powers what kind of wisdom is, this, is described in it or displayed in the church. And we can sing, we're one in the bond of love. Not because we don't wear jeans. Not because we have the same salaries. 
Not because we have the same level of education. Not because we are this or that. My friends, we are one in the bond of love because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We believe what the gospel says. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Do you mean to tell me that that is all? Yes, that is all. You know why? Because that is all God gave. Nothing else. By a mystery religion then, we live with an open secret that Jews and Gentiles and therefore black and white, red and yellow, the church is precious in his sight, that there exists a new creation called the church and that the church operates on a spiritual level, not on a physical or human level. We don't go to seminars to find out how to run the church. We go on our knees and have God lead us in serving the church. I mean that, friends. I mean that. No seminar is going to teach me how to serve you. I can read, and I do, and I can learn, and I hope I'm doing. But let me suggest to you, when it comes to how the church operates, God has already given us the blueprint. And that's what we will follow for the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh God, I feel that I have not even touched the surface of this great text, but I pray that your spirit will reveal to your people what this text is all about. That Christianity is a mystery religion because it's a religion revealed by God to his holy apostles, maintained, contained by the Spirit who gives us the understanding to what God has said. And so we take, Lord, we take refuge because if we had to do it ourselves, we could not do it. But you have done it. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.